Well, we're continuing on in our series of uh, messages about the life of David. And a couple weeks ago, we mentioned about uh, Psalm 42 and the D-slope that David avoided in his life. And last week, we talked about Psalm 27, about why he worshipped. And so, um, today we're going to talk about how you worship. I don't know how it went for you this week. Were you worshipping the Lord more this week from being inspired from last week? And if not, I want to encourage you about how to worship, how you could practically worship God, and how that can be a part of your life, your everyday life. Well, last week we talked about why worship. And it's important because God commanded us to worship Him. He knows it's good for us to behold His glory, to be in His presence. And when we focus upon the beauty of the Lord, He begins to transform us. We understand that from the Scriptures, from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And worship helps us enter into the presence in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of disillusionment, discouragement, and despair. And so even when we're in the midst of the D-slope, even when we're going down a slope in our souls where it's difficult, it can be because of an illness, it's because somebody has close to has, has passed away. When we're going through that difficulty, we can find hope and confidence in the Lord's presence. And then the last thing is that the Lord is worthy to be praised. No matter how we're feeling, no matter what we're going through, He enjoys a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, which confesses His name. So this week I want to share with you how you can worship God more effectively. The kind of worship that God desires is clearly talked about in the Scripture and he gives us that understanding so that we can apply ourselves to what he's spoken to us. Now we're going to talk about David's life, and we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But to give some context to this message, you have to go back in history before David was even born. And um, the nation of Israel... After Moses and Joshua came through, they were ruled by judges and high priests, and they still had the tabernacle, and they still had the Holy of Holies that Jeff was talking about. They had all the instruments for worship, but what had happened was that the corruption had come into the worship of God. And what I mean by that is Eli was the high priest, and he had a couple sons, and a couple of his sons would stand at the entrance to the temple, and people would bring their offerings because you had to bring a sacrifice. And what they would do is they would take the choice meats from the sacrifice that they were bringing and give them and take them for themselves, or take the money that they had been given, and they would consume it upon themselves, the sons of Eli. And so there was corruption going on. Samuel had just been born. He was a little boy, and he was a miracle baby. His mother was a barren, and then she had this child, and then she took Samuel to the temple where Eli was the high priest, and those two sons were, and they raised him there after he was about five years old. So Samuel became, later on became the high priest. But in the midst of all of this, in the Holy of Holies place, was what they called the Ark of the Covenant. And you've heard of Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. 
Yeah, yeah, you heard about, you heard about that. You know, this special piece of uh, worship, an instrument of worship, uh, a chest that was covered in gold with two cherubim sitting on top in gold. And inside, inside this chest was symbols of God's provision, His care, His leadership for the nation of Israel. <clears throat> One of the things was the manna inside a jar. The manna was in the jar. Another one was the rod of Aaron that had budded and proved that God's leadership was over Moses and Aaron. And then the other thing was the Ten Commandments. They were in there. They were inside there. The tablets that were written on uh, that God had given to Moses. And so inside, this t- inside the Ark of the Covenant were all these things. And the Bible says in the time of Moses that Moses was supposed to enter in to the tabernacle, and God would meet with him between the cherubim. God would speak to Moses face to face. And the presence of God would fill that place. And it's amazing that God, who created the entire universe, that nothing could hold him or keep him or contain him, he chose to come onto a piece of that tabernacle and that place to meet and talk with Moses and the high priests and others. Why did God do that? Because he wanted to have a relationship. He wanted to have communication with his people. He wanted to teach them how to love him and how to have a relationship with him. Daniel Hyde said this, The eternal God who is not constrained by existence of time, the infinite God who is not bound by the constraints of space, the immense and all-powerful God who fills all time space, condescended to the weakness of his people and became manifest there for the benefit over that Ark of the Covenant. And he said, there I will meet with you. That's amazing that God is be willing to do that. Now, in the generation before David, Eli and his sons were priests, and they took this ark as kind of like a, almost like a good luck charm in war. Because what had happened was, they knew the history of how God's people had used the ark before. Uh, Joshua had used it and sent the priests out carrying it, and it parted, when they stepped into the floodwaters of the Jordan, the Jordan parted and they walked through on dry ground. And the Ark of the Covenant stayed right in the middle of that river till everybody passed by. And so there's this sense that God's presence was going to be there on the Ark and that nothing could defeat them. Well, one day the Philistines attacked the Israelites. And so they took 30,000 men out and... Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's son, said, I know what we can do to assure victory. We'll take the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle and we'll bring us with us into battle and there's no way the Philistines will be, will be able to defeat us. And so they bring out the Ark of the Covenant and the 30,000 soldiers of Israel, when they see it, they all start shouting, We've got the victory! Hallelujah! And the shout is so loud that the Philistines are trembling because they're saying, what happened in the camp of the Israelites? Oh, they have the Ark of the Covenant. We're defeated. At first they thought, we're defeated. 
But then one of their leaders said, no, let's take heart. Let us fight for the Philistines. And so they had this big fight. And what happened is the Israelites were defeated. God's people were defeated. The Ark of the Covenant was captured and brought back into the temple of Dagon, an idol that the Philistines worshipped, and they believed gave them the strength to defeat the Israelites. And so they brought the Ark of the Covenant inside the temple of Dagon. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but you can read about it in 1 Samuel. So they bring this uh, Ark of the Covenant, uh, and they carry it, and they bring it in, and they set it in the temple next to the idol of Dagon, and they go to sleep. The next morning they wake up, and the, and the Dagon has fallen down. So they pick up Dagon, and they put him back up, And then the next night, they come back, and Dagon, the idol, has fallen again. But this time, his head comes off in both his hands. Think God's trying to tell you something? Not only that happened, but then all the people began to get sick, and they have tumors all over their bodies. So they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it to another city. And when they bring it to that city, the same thing happens. People get to have tumors over five different cities of the Philistines. They have kept it for a few uh, months. They keep that Ark of the Covenant for a few months, and then finally some of the people say, we got to give this back to the Israelites. And so they get a cart, and they get a few oxen, or they get a few cows to carry it that have just been separated from their calves. And if you know anything about cows and calves, the cows never want to be separated from their calves because they're milking them. And so when you separate them, they will always go back to their calves because they want to take care of them. So they said, if God, if this is really true, that we need to give back this Ark of the Covenant to the Israelites, let's put this thing on a cart, have the cows that have just calved, have them go lead and see where they go. And so it's amazing. It was a miracle. If you're not a farmer, if you haven't lived in Kansas, you don't know this, but this was a real miracle. The cows do not go back to the calves. They go straight into Israel, and they settle in this town. That's not too far from Jerusalem, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And this family takes the ark, and first the town people take the ark, And the Bible says what they did when they found the ark, they started rejoicing, but then they opened up the ark and they looked inside and 70 people of the town died. And they they must have closed it real quick. And then they set it aside and one fella, uh, Abinadab, takes it over and he keeps it at his house. And so 20 years have have gone by. King Saul has become the king. David has defeated Goliath. Then finally David becomes the king of all Israel. And then he has this idea. Let's bring the ark back into Jerusalem. And so this is where we pick up the story. So David again brought together all able young men of Israel, 30,000. I think that's significant because it's 30,000 that got defeated the first time they brought the ark 
with them into battle. And now David brings 30,000 young men, probably soldiers, with him. And he and all his men from Baal to Judah, in Judah to bring them from there the ark, to bring them up from the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So David has this great assembly, 30,000 men. He brings them back. Not only brings them back, but they have musicians with them. And they are singing and praising God. And so what happens next is they set the ark on a new cart, brought it from the house of Abinadab. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, cymbals. They had a wonderful worship experience. They were praising God and the 30,000 people were there and it was just amazing. And they had set this on a brand new ark, uh, cart, the ark on the cart. (laughs) They had set it on there and they were ready to go. Let's bring it back. And you know what happened next? Well, it says here in the scripture, they set the ark, they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out. Uzzah was the son of Abinadab. He reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there besides the ark of God. So they're having this music and all of a sudden the ark stumbles over something, begins to fall. Uzzah reaches out, he grabs it, and he's dies instantly. Silence. You want to talk about the end of the party? It's the end of the party. And everybody's staring around. What do we do next? The fear of God came upon everybody. David, it says, became displeased, almost angry. Because here he had created this celebration of bringing back the ark, his heart was that I want to bring back the ark so that people will be able to worship God and be in the presence of God, and I'll be able to do that too. But he had forgotten one thing. He hadn't really read the scripture on how to move the ark. He just copied what the Philistines did. So they got a couple oxen, they brought a brand new cart, put it on top, and they were going to bring the ark back. But that's not what God desired. That's not what God said they were supposed to do. That's not how they were supposed to worship. Because in the scripture, it says that uh, in Numbers chapter 4, 15, and, and David had the book of the Torah. He had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had those five books. It says this, after Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohites to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohites are to carry those things that are in the tent of the meeting. And so there was a group of priests, the Kohites, or also known in David's day as the sons of Korah. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. The sons of Korah were supposed to be the ones that carried the most holy things. And they weren't even supposed to touch them. They had to use claws and not put their hands on it. 
And so they were supposed to carry it. And David went back to Jerusalem. After that incident happened and, and Uzzah died, he went back to Jerusalem. And this is the difference between David and other kings and other leaders. What David did is he humbled himself before God and said, God, why did you allow this to happen? There's got to be a reason why this is happening the way it's happening now. You know I want to do what you want me to do, but why did this happen? And as David opened up the scripture, he began to discover that what they had done was just copy what the Philistines had done, but God wanted David to do it his way. And that was to get the Koahites involved and carry the ark on the poles back to Jerusalem. And it may seem to you to be insignificant. I mean, why would God do that? Because God is holy. He's just. He is wanting us to revere him. He wants to have a relationship with us, but sometimes... Our hearts don't enter into worship because our God, we, we make God in our own image. Or we think that we can just do whatever we want in the presence of God. And it doesn't matter because God is so loving and kind. He won't do anything to us. And so sometimes we have a lackadaisical attitude when we worship. See, so worship, how do you worship? Worship begins with understanding and acknowledging that God is holy. He's almighty. He's awesome. He's just. And he's compassionate. Praise God that he's compassionate, that he's loving too. But there's a holy love there. And when God wants to manifest his presence, he's going to manifest his presence to a person that understands that and acknowledges that. And that's why a lot of times when we come into worship and we don't prepare our hearts or we don't direct intentionally our hearts on God, we don't prepare our hearts, as Tim was saying, we miss out on experiencing the manifest presence of God because our focus isn't on Him. It's either on ourselves or it's on other people or it's on our circumstances. And God wants our attention to be fully on Him. Well, the story doesn't stop there. Three months later, David goes back to that place where the ark had settled. And so David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. For three months, Obed-Edom, this gentleman, it's a funny name, Obed-Edom. I don't know if I named my son that. But Obed-Edom was there, and his family was blessed for having the Ark of the Covenant at his house. And David heard about it, so he understood God isn't mad at us. He wants to have a relationship with us, so I'm going to go back and bring the Ark back. And so when those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, and he had the Kohites, the sons of Korah, come, and he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf every six steps. And the Bible says they had a tremendous celebration. So every six steps that David took back to Jerusalem, which was about more than a couple miles, maybe seven miles, they would sacrifice to the Lord. And can you imagine 
the amount of blood from a bull that would lay on the, on the street that they had just sacrificed. So the whole path from Obed-Edom's house to the city of Jerusalem was covered in the blood of a bull. Now David didn't know this, but it was symbolizing something. It was symbolizing what we know today about the Lord Jesus Christ. That the way that we have a relationship with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, His blood was shed for us, and it's applied to our heart, and it goes all the way into heaven, that covenant. That covenant goes all the way into heaven, so we're assured of His love and His forgiveness. David. David humbled himself before the Lord. And it says this, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. So two things were going on. The priests were sacrificing. David was experiencing the presence of the Lord and he was dancing. He was... He was dancing, not just... He was dancing with all his might! I mean, he was getting down. And everybody was celebrating. There was such an expression of worship that people noticed. In fact, the Bible says that David's wife was watching the whole thing. So David was dressed as a servant. He didn't wear his kingly robes. He wore a white robe, very plain, very humble. And then he danced before the Lord, and as they're bringing this out, the ark back to Jerusalem, he was dancing before the Lord with all his might. You see, worship is expressed by us with singing praises, thankfulness, shouts of joy, as well as quiet meditation, silence, humbling ourselves in the presence of the Lord. David was worshiping the Lord when he failed to bring back the ark. How was he worshiping the Lord? He humbled himself. He didn't get angry at God and say, God, forget you. I'm not approaching you anymore. Look, look what happened to me. Look what happened to Uzzah. Look, look, we were trying to do something. You just put an end to it. Forget you. That's what King Saul did. But not David. David went back and sought the Lord and asked the Lord, what are you doing? And so sometimes there's a time of quietness. There's a time of meditation. There's a time of humbling ourselves before the Lord to get his mindset on how we are to worship, how we're to obey him, how we're to follow him. There's sometimes what we need is deep repentance. We need something deeper than we've experienced before, before we can really worship the Lord. And that's why sometimes our worship just bounces off the walls and we feel like God isn't listening to us. Because there's no deep repentance. We talked about this in Sunday school. Fantastic lesson in Sunday school we had today. It was so good. If, if you missed it, you can catch it next week. Come early. I know it was time change today, but 
but it was so good. But it was talking about deep repentance. And this is what David showed. He showed a deep repentance. And then he turned from that repentance and then he worshiped God. How do we worship? That's the same way. We turn from our sin and then we worship God. David in Psalm 27, 4, we read this last week. It says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness, and the majestic grandeur of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. That's the Amplified Bible that builds up you know, the majestic grandeur of the Lord. And then it says in Psalm 63, verses 2 through 4, So here I am in the presence of the worship, eyes open, Drinking in your strength and glory, in your generous love, I'm really living at last. My lips brim with praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. This is David expressing his love to God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to experience. You know... Sometimes we experience this when we go to a Christian concert and something like Passion or um, Worship Night America, and everybody is worshiping the Lord. And it's like 10,000 people in an auditorium, hands raised, worshiping, and it just feels like you can just abandon yourself and just worship the Lord. And then sometimes on Sunday morning here, we're like going, I did a Maybe I'll, I'll put my hands up this eye. I'm not sure. You know, sometimes we, don't, we just don't feel the freedom to worship. But you know what David did? He didn't care what other people were thinking. He didn't care what other people were, you know, so. And it's true. You can worship the Lord. You don't have to lift your hands. It's true. You don't have to. You can be worshiping the Lord with all your heart and not have your hands raised at all. I've seen people just stand there, tears running down their faces. But you'd never know it if you were standing behind them. You think, man, that guy's like the frozen chosen. But you know what's happening in his heart? There's something happening in that person's heart. They're being touched by the Lord. So judgment of trying to say who's worshiping and who's not worshiping in our church You don't want to even go there. I don't want to go there. But I do want to encourage you to express how you understand your love for God. Express that to the Lord. Express that to the Lord. And God wants us to express that to Him. Well, you know what happens in that? As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, and David was dancing, Michael, the daughter of David, who was also his wife, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. Lesson for marriage. Don't despise one another. Especially, you disrespect your husband. He doesn't show you love. You don't get love. You despise your husband even more. And just as a crazy cycle. Remember we talked about that? But in this situation here, Michael 
despised him so much in her heart. There was something going on there. Do you know whenever there is revival, whenever God is doing something in your life, there's somebody, Satan will use somebody to try to throw cold water on you. Hey, get, you know, stop. You're getting too close to God. You're you're taking this thing with God too far. Let's live in reality here. David, no way. He's living in the reality of God's presence, and that's where we should live. When David returned home to bless his household, he doesn't know Michael's looking at him from the window. He's just ready to bless everybody. He's given uh, food and everything to the whole city of Jerusalem, and he's coming back into his household to bless his family. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, comes out to meet him and says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked, in full view of the slave girls. Man, what a, you're acting like a vulgar fellow. You're acting so undignified, David. You're supposed to be the king, and you're going around dancing in a linen ephod, just like a common servant. What are you, what are you doing? How are people going to respect you? I definitely don't respect you. And David, what does David do? How does he respond to his wife? Well, so David said to Michael, I was before the Lord. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. He says, I'm doing this before the Lord and I'm going to continue to celebrate before the Lord. You see, there's times in your life when people's circumstance will come against your worship and your devotion to God and you have a choice to make. David had a choice to make. And he chose God. And it made all the difference in his life. I will become even more undignified than this and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes, is what David said. He says, if I have to become even more undignified, as long as I could be in the presence of God, it doesn't matter. As long as the people that I love will follow God and serve Him, I'll do whatever it takes for God to be glorified. I'll do whatever it takes to worship him. And David does that. And what a lesson for us. What an example for us to enter into God's presence no matter what. You see, David's even at the peak of his success. He's not struggling. Nobody's trying to attack him. He's at one of the high points of his rule in Israel, and yet he chooses to sacrifice and worship God more than anything else. And that's his lifestyle. When he's at the lowest on the D slope in total despair, he chooses to worship God. When he's at the height of his success, he chooses God. And he expresses that worship to him.
In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. And Jesus sits down and talks with her. He breaks all political correctness and religious uh, correctness of his day and all social taboos. And he sits down and he talks with this woman. This woman is at the well at 12 noon. Nobody else is there because this woman has been ostracized by the community. They know what kind of woman she is. And she tries to hide it. She goes to get water at noon and Jesus is there and Jesus says, can I have a drink? And she says, you're going to ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. We don't even talk to each other. And he goes, woman, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd give you a drink of living water. And that water would well up into you into eternal life. You don't even know who you're talking to. He says, well, someday, you know, the prophet will come and he'll show us who God really is. And so she had all this stuff. She was trying to throw Jesus off. And he says, where's your husband? And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she goes, whoa. She says, wow, you really know. And she goes, but anyway, so you must be a prophet, but tell me this. He says, where are you supposed to worship? Are we supposed to worship in Samaria? Are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem? And he said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He's saying, It's not about the place. It's not about the things. It's about your heart. Worship is about your heart. And God knows you. He knows everything about you, and yet he wants to have a relationship with you. And he says this, yet a time is coming and now has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is calling her into a place of deeper repentance, of honesty and openness and truthfulness before God. He's saying, okay, yeah, your life is a mess. But if you repent and turn to God and begin to worship him, out of your brokenness, out of your life, He's going to meet you because the Father seeks that kind of worship. He seeks that honesty. He seeks that truthfulness. He seeks those that are touched by His Spirit and then respond to Him. That's true worship. So worship begins when we understand and acknowledge that God is holy, almighty, and awesome. He's also just and compassionate. You see, at the cross, Jesus' holiness and his compassion was met. God's holiness was satisfied and Jesus' love was displayed. And we are the recipients of that. We find forgiveness, we find grace and mercy. And then we respond in worship. It is expressed by us with singing Thankfulness, shouts of joy, uplifted hands, dancing as well as a quiet meditation, 
silence, humbling ourselves in the presence of the Lord, and worship that is acceptable and sought after by God is expressed in the power of the Holy Spirit with honesty and truthfulness. So I'm not going to tell you, raise your hands and you'll be better off worshiping. I'm not going to tell you, dance and you're going to experience the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to tell you, get down on your face and that's where you're going to find God. You know where you're going to find God? In your heart, when you're honest before Him, when you are seeking Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He loves that kind of worship. That's His goal for you and I in worship. That's how we worship. So I'm going to have the worship team come forward here as we pray. And let's continue on in worship. Let's express our love to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word to us today. Draw us closer to yourself, Lord. Have your way today. Teach us how to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.